Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we wanna encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description of this video online at fellowshipgj.com or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring this message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. Fellowship Church, I am so excited to be here with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sean Tatum. I'm one of our teaching pastors here at Fellowship, as well as one of our youth pastors, and I am just grateful to be here with you on this New Year's Eve. I love New Year's. I know it gets a bad rap because everybody starts a, uh, an exercise program or a diet program. The gym's never busier than uh, January 2nd, and if you ever find yourself uh, like me, mid-February, elbow deep in a box of zebra cakes, you are in the right place. But I love New Year's. I love the ability to change. I love starting new things. I'm really good at starting new things. I'm terrible at finishing those new things. But I love to start new things. And something that I started a long time ago that changed how I see the world, changed how I walk through life, is learning how to hear the voice of God through the Bible. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. When I was just out of high school, I had the opportunity to travel to Europe for a few weeks, and it was such an amazing opportunity. It was incredible. And I recognize how much of a privilege that was to be able to do that. And Having grown up in America, though, I was a little bit anxious about the fact that every country over there doesn't speak English, but much to my surprise, everywhere I went, everybody there spoke English, which was extremely convenient, as we just learned that I only speak English. Now, ultimately, I had no language issues at all, and that was until my final day in Europe. I was flying out of Frankfurt, Germany, and travel had gone swimmingly up until this point. There was no problems at all. So much like Icarus, my 18-year-old pride ended up bringing me sailing back down to earth in a great catastrophe. So I walk into the Frankfurt airport, just casual, ready to just crush this day of travel. I walk up to the ticketing counter, getting ready to slap my passport down, throw my bag on the scale, and find my way to my gate. And I didn't even take my sunglasses off. That's how I felt about traveling this day. I was a seasoned world traveler. I mean, I was James Dean. I was a just no curveball I couldn't handle, I thought to myself, incorrectly. So I put my passport up on the counter and uh, my bag on the scale, just expecting to cruise through this process. The ticket agent, though, had different plans for me. Now, this woman was clearly not from Germany, but she lived there, and I knew this because uh, she spoke fluent German and spoke to me in fluent German, and her name tag said her name, comma, Pakistan. You know how, like, resorts and theme parks, the employee name tags will say their name, where they're from, like, a little fun fact about them. I guess they do that at the Delta ticket counter in Frankfurt as well. So, she asked me this question in German, and I don't respond because I don't speak German. And she realizes that I'm an American tourist and then changes her question into English. Now, the problem was she had what I'm going to call a double accent. And I don't know if that's a real thing, but it really happened to me, so you guys get to hear about it. So she's speaking to me with an accent from her language of origin and then like a slight German accent in English. Mr. Cool Guy James Dean World Traveler found himself in a pickle all of a sudden because I could not 
for the life of me, understand what she was trying to say. And, and so she asked me the question again, and I lose all skills. Like, I just completely blank out and panic. She's like, there's a lot of people around. It's loud. I can't hear her very well. And I just stare at her blankly. So she repeats the question again, but she's starting to get visibly frustrated, and she's now escalating her tone and her volume. And we're in an airport. And when people yell in an airport, it's a problem. So she's chewing me out for all these people in a language I don't speak, and everybody's staring at me, and I am floundering, drowning in this situation. I cannot figure out what she wants from me. I have no idea what she's saying, but because of my heightened intuition, I could tell it was important. <laughs> Finally, after what seemed to be four hours of this situation, she speaks to me in like the slowest, most deliberate tone she could muster. Well, she more yelled at me. Did you pack your bags? To which I replied, yes, of course. Conversation over. She hands me my boarding pass. I take my passport, and I go on my way. And what was supposed to be a very simple transaction and conversation turned into a potentially volatile situation, which could have ended up with me being detained in the Frankfurt airport, which admittedly would catapult me into a lifelong dream of becoming Jason Bourne. Um, but <laughs> in actuality, just kind of ruined this poor woman's day <laughs> and made me look like an idiot. But... It was because I couldn't hear or understand the voice that I needed to to continue in my journey. And I wonder, how many of us feel like that when it comes to hearing the voice of God? How many of us feel like we can't hear him or understand what he's saying, especially when he speaks to us through the Bible? We believe that the Bible, the word of God, is alive and it's active and that God wants to speak to us through it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, or in other words, for life. This is useful for us for life and how to live a godly life. So we need to hear him through it. But if we don't know how to hear him through it or understand what he's saying in it, we can end up frustrated and feeling like we have no direction at all. So how do we hear God speak, especially through the Bible? I mean, how many of us have tried to read the Bible, get frustrated or confused by what it says and how it says it, slap it closed and say, that's not for me, I'll wait until the sermon on Sunday? I remember when I first really started getting into the Word, getting into my Bible, I was trying to turn my life around. Uh, I was coming out of a lifestyle of partying and, and drinking and just really wild living, and I was trying to turn my, my life around and get my act together, and it was so hard. It was so hard to just get into this thing and figure out what to do with it and navigate it. And so, I mean, we've all done the thing where we are like, okay, fine, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do it today, this is for real. I don't know where to start, though, so you flip open to a random page and you point and you're like, speak, Lord, and it's, bring the sacrifice of two turtle doves to the altar. And you're like, I don't know what that means or what that has to do with me or where I'd even find a turtle dove at this hour. <laughs> what does that have to do with my life? Well, if you've ever felt like that, you're not alone. And adding the habit of hearing God's voice through the word can and will change everything, not just in 2024 this year, but for our rest of our time here on earth. So that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at how to hear God's voice by looking at a man in scripture named Habakkuk. Bless you. It was a really cheesy joke. We'll just keep moving. Um, yes, that is a real name in the book of the Bible. Habakkuk was an Old Testament prophet, and if anybody knew how to hear the voice of God, it would be an Old Testament prophet. Now, we're going to pick it up in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, and we're going to find Habakkuk crying out to God, crying out to the Lord and, and bringing grievances to him, crying out to him of, God, there's some things going on in this world that I'm having a hard time with. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. And have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you're crying out to God, but he might not be on the other end of the phone? It's like, God, I need answers. I have big things going on in my life, and I'm trying to figure out, do I get married again? Do I take that job? Do I quit my job? 
Do I need to close down my business? Do I trust people again and let myself make connections and relationships? God, I've got big questions, and it doesn't seem like you're answering me. And that's how Habakkuk is feeling, but thankfully he doesn't stop there. He shows us how to put ourselves in a position to hear God speak to us. And I'm not talking about the audible voice of God this morning, but that still small voice that scripture refers to. What did Habakkuk do to put himself in that position? What did he learn in the process of going from, God, I don't think you're saying a thing to me, to, oh my gosh, my life is so much better and so much different because God said anything to me. What, what did he do that we can do so we can experience the same change in our lives? And if we could ask Habakkuk himself what the first thing we should do is if we want to hear the voice of God, is I think he would say, ask God to speak. That's our first point, which is extremely obvious, right? We want to hear God speak, we should ask him to speak. In Habakkuk chapter 1, he asked God some very specific questions. Why, why do I cry out to you so much, Lord, and you don't respond to me? In verse 3, he says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And this is like saying to God, God, there's things going on in this world I just do not understand right now. Flat out, I do not get what's going on out there, and it's really weighing on me. And how, how true is that of our world, right? Like, whether it's the government or the economy, the political landscape, the geopolitical landscape, it seems like things are going south pretty fast. And I know prophecy has a lot to do with that, and it's nothing to be afraid of, but we still have to live here. We still have to live in this time in history and do life every day, and that's why we need God to speak to us, especially through his word. Now, Habakkuk asks specific questions, and God gives him specific answers, and God says the same thing is true for you and me. In James 4, 2, it says, you do not have because you do not ask God, which is like God saying to us, hey, when are you going to stop freaking out about all these things? When are you going to stop worrying about these things and actually pray about them, actually ask me to speak to you about them? James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, we all have things in our life we need to, him to speak to us about, the I don't know what to do about things, whether it's the economy, our job, our marriage, our kids are going crazy, but something we all have questions about and we need God to speak to us about is our finances. Every single one of us manage, fi manage finances on some level, whether you manage the finances of a business or the, your business, everybody's involved in their personal family finances on some level, and None of us are immune to what's happening in the economy. None of us are immune to what's happening with inflation, and we find ourselves worrying. Some of us are worrying, will we be able to make ends meet by the end of the month? We find ourselves asking, are we going to be able to keep our businesses open? Am I going to be able to get payroll out this month? Will I be able to afford to pay for my kids to do extracurricular activities? Will my retirement benefits survive a recession? Maybe you're on a fixed income, and you find yourself asking, how am I supposed to keep up with rising costs? But rather than us worry about it, we should ask God what to do about it. And so we ask him to speak. Matthew 6, 27 says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Which is Jesus saying to us, hey, worry doesn't do anything but steal from you. So rather than worry about it, ask me to speak about it. And there's a difference between praying about things and saying, like, fix it, God, help, God. Like, that's, that's just half the equation, right? Like, that kind of prayer is just demanding a response from God. And, and that looks more like worry than prayer sometimes. But... You know, life can be crazy, and sometimes that's all we can muster. Sometimes that's all the prayer we can get out is help God, and that's okay. But when we have the bandwidth, when we have the ability, we should be asking God to speak about it specifically. And that looks like us taking the time to get alone with him and ask him, God, this situation is really weighing on me. What should I do about it? How do you want me to see this, Lord? What's your perspective on it? And then we wait and listen. And I find myself, in raising my three daughters, having to change my prayers from help God, I have three daughters, <laughs> to God, how do you want me to lead them? 
God, how do you want me to be the dad that they need and the father they deserve? And then we wait for him to speak. Now, when we ask God to speak, we should expect him to. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And we can put our trust and ability in God's ability to provide for us, sure. But we can put our confidence in him to speak to us about our lives, too. And so Habakkuk says we got to start by asking God. And then the next thing he shows us is that we need to get alone with God. That's our second point. Now watch what he says in Habakkuk 2.1. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, and I will look to see what he will say to me. And I'll be honest. I had to look up what a rampart was. I had an idea, but I wanted to be sure. It's a castle-style wall, like the Great Wall of China, or like a walkway down the middle, or like Monty Python and the Holy Grail with the French Knights, those guys. If you're younger than me, I'm sorry, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I thought this was interesting, but I'm learning right now that you guys don't. So we're going to move on. He said, I will stand at my watch and station myself. So what is Habakkuk trying to say here? Because that language is a little bit different than how we speak. And, and I think the spirit of the original language is he's saying, I'm going to get alone with God. I'm going to present myself to God. I'm going to prepare myself to watch for God. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to station myself. That's an intentional action. Like if you station yourself somewhere, you're going to stay there. You're not going to move from that spot. And God, I've asked you to speak. And I'm actually going to sit down and be quiet long enough for you to do so. And I was thinking about that that action right there, sitting down and being quiet. And I was like, oof, that's a tough one for me. Um, I struggle to sit down and be silent, and maybe you're like me, because our lives are so busy and noisy that to sit in silence is almost maddening. That was a long pause, wasn't it? It was awkward and it was uncomfortable, and it was seven seconds. I counted. I did the Mississippis in my head. <laughs> and if I were being honest, when I asked God to speak, speak, I struggled to wait seven seconds even for him to do so. And you know what I do a lot of the time? I do what I think most of us do is we're like, help God, fix this, Lord. I, I need your help. Please speak to me about this subject. Okay, fine. I've got things to do. You're not going to talk. I'm going to move on. And isn't that true? Don't we do that? We ask God to speak to us about something, but we don't wait around long enough for the answer. And that's what Habakkuk is saying here. He's like, hey, if I'm going to ask, I should probably hang around long enough for him to give me an answer. So I'm going to get alone with God. And God says the same thing for us. So we need to ask him to speak and get alone with him. And the third thing we need to do when we need God to speak to us is this, is read it. So we're going to reread Habakkuk 2.1, and it says, I will stand at my watch and station myself. So I'm going to ask God to speak, and I'm going to get alone with him. Then watch what he says. I will look what he will say to me. Now, wouldn't it make sense if you and I were having a conversation and I ask you a question, my like, conventional wisdom says I then stop talking and listen for the answer, right? But it doesn't say listen. It says I will look to see what he will say to me. And for us, that looks like this. As we, that's why it's read it. As we get in here and we look to see what God will say. That's how this is supposed to work. He says, I want to speak to you through my word. I want to say things to you on a daily basis. That's why it says in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet a light on my path. He says, my word is like a lamp when you're on a dark path and you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do next, but you have this lamp and it lights up your step and your path one at a time. Now notice he didn't say my word is like the sun. He said it's like a lamp. And this morning when I woke up, it was dark outside. And then I looked outside again and the sun was up and I had nothing to do with that. That came up on its own volition and will. I just was doing my thing. But he didn't say his word is like the sun. He said it's like a lamp. Now, if you're like me, you've probably got a couple lamps at home, and not one of those lamps plugged itself in. 
Not one of those lamps turned itself on unless you've got Alexa or Google Home or some other crazy robot I don't trust. But not one of those lamps did it by itself. It took effort on our part. It took action on our part. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying, hey, you got to turn this thing on. you got to get into it. you got to activate it. you got to flip the switch. And then we will look to see what God will say. And he didn't say, my word is like a floodlight either. You know, like those crazy flashlights you can get on Amazon that you're definitely not allowed to use near an airport. I wish his word was like that sometimes because then I could read it today and see what my life was going to look like in three weeks or three months, or three years from now, 30 years from now. But he said, my word is like a lamp. And if we'll open it today, he'll speak to us about today. And if we open it tomorrow, he'll speak to us about tomorrow. And if we open it the next day, he'll speak to us about the next day. And he's talking about consistency. It's what any good relationship is built, built on, is consistency and communication. And we have to get in here and find him there and learn to hear his voice so that we know it out in the world. I don't know about you, though, but that begs the question to me, okay, but how does that really work? Like, if I just read it, I'm going to start hearing the words, because that's how reading works, Sean. Like, that's super obvious. But what I'm, what I'm talking about is that still, small voice. We're looking for a still, small voice. And it's the same thing that Elijah learned when he was trying to hear from God in 1 Kings 19, and verse 11 and 12. It says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Notice the first thing is, go get by yourself. Go spend some time with just you and the Lord goes on, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. That's how he speaks. He's saying, you're looking for my still, small voice. And if you've ever spent time reading scripture, really digging into it, you'll read a whole chapter, and then all of a sudden, one little thing just jumps out of the page at you and just smacks you in the face. That's what we mean when we say the word of God is alive and active. It's why you can read one verse six months ago, and it does nothing for you. You blow right past it, and then you come back to it today, and it speaks to your exact situation you're going through. Because it's alive, and it's active, and God is trying to reach you with a still, small voice through the word. And the more and more we get familiar with that still small voice in private, in peace, the more and more we'll recognize it out in the chaos of life. Because out there, where we're trying to make all these big decisions and navigate these crazy situations of life, we might be looking for a voice that we might not recognize because we might not spend enough time in our personal lives trying to hear it. Now, my kids, like every other kid in the world, suffer from a condition called selective hearing. It's not serious, but many are affected. And they can't hear me when they're playing. And they can't hear me when they're watching Sing 2 for the 10,000th time. They can't hear me when they're in a crowd. They can hear me when I open a snack that I've been saving for myself, though. They know that sound. But when there's things going on around them, they can't hear what I'm saying because they lose my voice in the chaos. So from a young age, I've trained them to respond to a little tune that I whistle. It goes like this. And when I do that, their heads snap around. They look for me. Or from way off in the distance in the playroom, you hear, what? And we're a work in progress. We're getting there. We're, we're fixing it. But I do it all the time at home in calm settings without chaos so that when it comes time for them to recognize my voice at the park where there's 7,000 other kids running around screaming, they recognize it's me trying to get their attention. And how do they hear that out of all that craziness? Well, it's because I've done it time after time in the stillness, in the private, in the, in the peace that they recognize it out in the chaos of life. And that's what God wants for us. He's saying, get in my word consistently. Spend some time with me. Start getting used to hearing my still, small voice in the peace so that you'll recognize it in the chaos. 
Now, I want to get practical for a second, because maybe you're sitting here thinking, this all sounds great, I do want to get in my Bible, I just don't know how or where to start. Well, it's not really about how or where you start, it's just start. Start in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They're just a great way to get introduced to our Savior, Jesus. If we want to live a life that's more like Christ and become more and more like him every day, we need to be figuring out who he is and seeing how he lived. The Gospels are just that. They're a history of his life, his relationships, his ministry, what he said, how he said it, where he went, and what he did. And it is a beautiful handshake with this man that we call Savior. Start in the the Gospel of Mark. It's very short and succinct, and it's a great overview of the Gospel. You can start in Genesis, page 1. Genesis has a lot of great stories in it, so does Exodus. Towards the tail end of Exodus and Leviticus, buckle up, because it is a haul. Um, It's all good. The Scripture's great. Help, God. Uh, read, <laughs> you can read a proverb or a psalm a day. You can get a devotional plan on the YouVersion app for free. Get a devotional book from our bookstore. Maybe your next step is, is your connect step, your grow step, and you're looking to get into life group. We have tons of life groups that are going through Bible studies as we speak. Get into Rooted. That's a great way to get into the Word and find Him there. It's not about where you start. Just start and watch what He will do. Which leads us to our last point, which is run with it. And this is where the life change happens, not just in the reading, but in the running. Habakkuk 2.2 says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Well, here's the revelation written down plainly. So that we, the heralds, can read it, run with it, and then shout it, spread the message around to the people around us. God says this to us in James 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says or run with it. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it or running with it, they will be blessed in what they do. God's not giving us a chore. Reading the Bible is not a a spiritual chore. It's not a box to check. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the God of the universe to come into our lives and speak to us about what we're going through. And when he speaks, we receive freedom. He said they will be blessed in what they do. And sometimes what God asks us to do through scripture, it won't make sense. And he'll ask us to jump, and we don't know why until our feet are back on the ground. But one day we'll look back and say, thank God that I did jump, because look at what he's done. And here's the deal. You never know what will happen when you run with what seems like one small act of obedience that you get from the Bible, because it can have a drastic effect, not just on your present, but your future, and it can add context to your past as well. We just have to run with it. Now, some of you may know my story, but if you don't, I grew up here in Grand Junction, born and raised, and I ended up going to college down in Durango, and my time there was spent not great. You know, I was partying and and drinking a lot, and I was a mess. And all the while, I would have been somebody who called themselves a Christian, but I couldn't have lived more opposite of that belief. And I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I was having too much fun for it to matter, and this wild lifestyle really started to take its toll. Physically, sure, but, but more emotionally and mentally. I found myself depressed. And I was a disaster, and I was constantly wondering, is my life worth living? Would anybody miss me if I were gone? And, and I had come to the conclusion that there had to be more to life than the bottom of a bottle. There had to be more to life than a party. There had to be more to life than pursuing things, looking for fami- fulfillment that would never provide them. And so I would change. I would want to change. I would, I would quit drinking and go into parties, and I'd do really well for two or three weeks, but then I would fail and fall right back into it. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do good this time, and, and I would try harder and then fail, rinse, and repeat. Until one day, 
when I was moving back to Grand Junction because I couldn't afford to live in Durango anymore. I had some relationship things happen, and I fa failed out of school. My time in Durango was just done. And I was, I was driving home from Durango for the last time. My car was all packed up. I was hung over from the going away party, and I driving over Mola's Pass, and I felt horrible. Physically, yes, but more about who I was becoming and my life. I felt like I had failed on every level imaginable. I felt like I'd let everybody around me down, and so I'm driving down into Silverton, and I'm looking at that guardrail, and I'm thinking some pretty dangerous and scary thoughts. And I was listening to the message from Fellowship that Sunday, and I don't even remember what it was about, but I remember hearing that still, small voice. I remember hearing, if you don't stop living like this, if you don't make some changes, you're going to die. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And I just, I knew it. I knew it was God speaking to me. And so when I got home, I made some changes. I poured out every bit of alcohol I had. I made plans to be here at church. I started getting involved here at church and being around people who were good for me, people who wanted to help me grow and be better going the same direction as me, not people who were gonna try and drag me down and keep me in my mess. And I'm not saying obey God like I did because I have this figured out or I'm so perfect and spiritual. I mean, I was a 20-year-old alcohol-fueled disaster. But when I did decide to flee that evil desire of youth, when I did decide to be obedient to God and run with that still small voice that he spoke to me, I, I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know that I would end up working at this church one year later. I didn't know that years after that, I, while serving and interning in 4640, I would meet my wife. I didn't know later that, that we would start a beautiful, blended family with three daughters that I love so much that it hurts my heart when I think about it. I didn't know that I would be right here in front of you right now preaching the word, preaching the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did in my life and what he can do in yours. And the truth is I would have missed out on every single one of those things if I hadn't made the decision to be obedient and run with it and do what he told me to do. And that's what I want for you this morning. I want you to understand that this isn't some cosmic mystery that nobody can figure out. God's really good at communication. He invented it. He just wants us to get into the word and find him there. And so as we close this morning, I want to invite everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I'm going to ask a couple questions and give room, room for response. And the first question is this. Do you even have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know him? Because maybe you're not sure why you're here today. Maybe you were invited or... Let's be honest, forced by your mom here. <laughs> or maybe you tuned in online and, and you don't know why. And while I've been speaking to you about his word, he's been speaking to you about your life. And you can feel some things going on in your heart. You can feel some things changing. And that's, that's God. That's the God of our universe lovingly drawing you into relationship with him. And he's crying out and calling out to you saying, hey, I'm here. And I want to do life with you. I've got a better life for you. I want to heal you. I want to redeem you. I want to restore you. I want to give you a home forever in heaven. And I want to turn you into somebody who goes and becomes a light in a dark world. And so with everybody's head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and this is your moment, this is today is your day and you want to say yes to relationship with Christ, I want to invite you to just slip your hand up so that we can pray together. 
And in just a moment, we're all going to pray this prayer together. Everybody online is going to join me, everybody in the room, so that nobody feels singled out or alone. So pray with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you died on the cross and that you rose again, resurrected, to pay the price for my sins. Please give me a home forever in heaven. Be the Lord and leader of my life today and for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. And the second question is, do you have something going on in your life that you don't know what to do about? Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in a, a relationship, whether it's at school, or a job change, or maybe it's an addiction you're dealing with. I want to invite you to, to take a moment, and in the privacy of your heart, ask him. Ask God what he says about it. Ask him to speak about it, not just to help God, not just to fix it, God, but take seven seconds to ask him to speak to you. now that's that's okay i want to encourage you just just get into the word get into the bible find him there invite him into your time every time you crack this book open holy spirit come and speak to me can i pray for you this morning church god thank you for these people thank you that you want to speak to us thank you that you have something to say to us not just in a broad sense but to us specifically and god we thank you that you died on the cross that you came and you paid the price so that we can even have a relationship with you God, I pray that you would bless everybody in here, everybody who can hear my voice right now. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that still, small voice. God, that you would turn lives around, you would break addictions. God, that you would heal marriages, you would heal finances, and that you would get the glory for all of it. God, we thank you in advance for what it is that you're gonna do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, church, we love you so much. Have a great rest of your day, and happy New Year's. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text FELLOWSHIP to 94000 to connect with our staff. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting PRAYER SUPPORT to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.